Welcome to Playmakers Talk Show, where business owners, professionals, and entrepreneurs gather to discover playmaking ideas for success. Your host is internationally recognized speaker, facilitator, and author, Steve Klein, who sits down with fascinating playmakers who have made themselves and their company successful. Steve will introduce you to CEOs and executives who discuss their playmaking path toward success. And now, it's time to meet this show's playmaker. Here's your host, Steve Klein. Janet Reno said, Being a lawyer is not merely a vocation. It is a public trust, and each of us has an obligation to give back to our communities. Welcome to Playmakers Talk Show. I'm Steve Klein. In the studio today is a guest who believes in the public trust. Today's Playmaker has handled more than 500 intellectual property disputes. With us today is a managing partner who helps companies increase their market share. This great Playmaker is Darren Klemchuk, founder and managing partner of Klemchuk LLP. Now, Darren focuses on intellectual property with an emphasis on patent, copyright, and trade secret litigation. As I mentioned, he's handled more than 500 intellectual property disputes, including over 40 patent infringement cases and hundreds of IP enforcement actions. In addition to IP litigation, Darren's practice is also focused on anti-counterfeiting programs and IP portfolio enforcement. Darren has significant experience litigating commercial and business disputes, including non-compete, partnership, fiduciary duty, and breach of contract disputes. His practice includes assisting companies to increase their market share and protect their competitive advantage by identifying and protecting valuable branding, technological innovation, software, and other property by procuring trademark, copyright, and patent rights, and through employment agreements and non-compete agreements. Well, there's a lot there to talk about. Darren, welcome to Playmakers Talk Show. Thank you, Steve. You know, I understand that you didn't start in law. You uh, were in mechanical engineering. So why does someone with a BS in mechanical engineering become an IP attorney? It's a bit of a long story. When I finished the University of Washington with my mechanical engineering degree, I quickly started a job as a fresh and budding engineer at the Boeing Company. And I worked there for about four years, and during that stretch, we had a Monday morning meeting that happened between 7.15 and 11.15, that's four hours, every Monday where we did a design review of the airplane. And I remember sitting in that meeting looking at, at that time in the 90s, we used viewfoils, overhead projector. And I remember sitting in that meeting for years, uh, for four hours, wondering if there was more to life than sitting in this meeting. And I just decided that I needed to do something other than be an engineer in a very large company. And so I, um, at the same time, the Gulf War happened and I decided that I really want to serve. So I, I, I took a leave from Boeing. I signed up and I joined the army and I actually went to infantry school and basic training in Fort Benning, Georgia. So I did that for a while. I came back and I, I had to make a decision between going active duty in the Army or go to law school. And many of the same ways, I kind of saw them very similarly. Um, and I ultimately decided to go to law school. And so I, I left Boeing after four years and went to Vanderbilt Law School. Why law? Law and being in the Army were very similar. Uh, you're kind of a hired gun. Um, and, you know, I went to law school with this idea that I was going to be a federal prosecutor. Um, so federal prosecutor, uh, infantry soldier, I think, are, are some ways very similar. Um, I ultimately decided that that law would probably be a better career path uh, to have a family. So I, I chose that path. You mentioned prior to the uh, show starting that you are an entrepreneur that happens to have a law firm. 
Talk about that. Talk about the difference that you have in your head as an attorney compared to most uh, law firms. Well, the law firm, the classic law firm partnership model has been around for over 100 years. It's very successful. Um, it hasn't changed a lot in 100 years. And so I kind of come at things uh, looking at it from a business perspective. And so I typically will question anything, particularly things that have been described as, well, that's the way we've always done it. Um, that's my cue to challenge whether there may be a better way to do things. And so, you know, I what I've been trying to do for the last 14 years is to, to run a law firm like a business as opposed to a law firm that is the business. I want to come back to that and talk about how you're doing that, but let's talk specifically about what you do with IP or intellectual property. Why did you pick that out as your specialty? Well, I had an engineering degree, and so I got out of law school in 1997, and as you guys remember, that's about the time that the dot-com boom started, and technology was the rage and the internet, and so at the law firm that I started with, which was a very large law firm in Dallas, they were forming an intellectual property section, and so they were looking for lawyers that had science, math, and engineering degrees, and so I was part of that. Hence, you moved into your own firm. Uh, what year was that? So I started in Dallas in 1997, um, studied for the bar that summer, um, and then started in a large law firm shortly thereafter. And then in January of 2004, I made my exit from the, from the large law firm. And probably in one of the crazier, uh, riskier moves of my lifetime, I had um, – at the time, I had no portable business at all. I was 30 days away from the partnership vote, and my wife was eight months pregnant with baby number two. And so this was just done completely on faith. You um, have that background in intellectual property, but as I mentioned, you are not just an attorney. You're a uh, an entrepreneur. We talked before the show started about other firms you have a uh, either an ownership or a piece of. But talk about the difference between being that entrepreneur and the attorney. You uh, had uh, sent me some information that's one of your biggest challenges, trying to create a law firm that's team and leadership-centric. Talk about that and why, why law firms can't generally do that. When you, when you start as a, a young associate in a law firm, the, your number one metric is the billable hour for the most part. Not always, but for the most part. And so the, it's kinda, it takes the place of grades from law school so you compete on billable hours which is which is revenue generation so your ability to sell your ability to manage client relationships and your ability to uh, lead are not factored into billable hours and so there's a very strong bias towards individual production and billable hours essentially such that uh, other other Skill sets that are highly valued to other businesses, like ability to lead large groups, ability to cast a vision, ability to develop the next generation of leaders, are not as valued typically in a law firm in the classic law firm partnership model. So many law firms have a lot of attorneys, but they might be lone wolves rather than working together collectively to develop that that um, uh, law firm. Usually in, in a larger firm, you're going to have a, a mix of what I would call, I would, like you call lone wolf, I'll call individual performers. And so you have uh, lawyers who just by their own nature would prefer to work on their own. Um, some are times referred to as silos, siloed practices. And then you have other lawyers that like to be a, in a team environment. Um, 
And so you have a mix of team and, and siloed. I mean, the, the key is to get them all working together, and that requires the leadership at the top. And that's what you have interest in. You also, also uh, sent me information about uh, your culture of innovation. What is that, that culture that you have at your firm? Well, we, have, um, we are a values-based business, and so our fifth core value, which is our last, is always open to a better way. And so innovation and law firms don't necessarily go hand-in-hand. In In fact, most of the time you think that law firms are kind of anti-innovation because the model really hasn't changed very much in 100 years. But we are are trying to change that um, primarily by being – Team centric, so we, you know, my my belief is that you have a high performing team can deliver a high performing service to make clients happy, and if you don't have a high performing team, it's, it can be difficult to give great client service. And so we're very focused on teamsmanship within our firm. What I heard you say then is is customer client uh, service is very important to you. Yes, and it takes a teamwork to do that. So how do you develop these attorneys like being in silos? To work together as a team, and when I think of team, I think of uh, sports teams working together seamlessly. How do you pull out all that together? Well, let's take the sports analogy. Um, Never in the history of basketball, college, or professional has a team ever won a championship playing five centers. Agree? I agree. So to have a high-performing team, what you need to do is have different roles on that team. Different roles means that somebody has to give something up that they otherwise could do point guard versus center and to give something up that you otherwise would do here's the hard part you have to get somebody to admit that they have strengths and that they have weaknesses and the game you know the strategy is to leverage the strengths of each member of the team and then cover down or staff around their weaknesses to eliminate as much of that as possible but that requires a high degree of self-awareness of what each person's limitations are and a high level of maturity to be able to look eye to eye to somebody that you compete with and admit that, hey, I'm not so great at this. You're great at it. How about we, we, you and I work together so that we get a better result? Very difficult to do, particularly for lawyers because we're trained to, be, uh, to have no weaknesses and to be good at everything. But to have a great team, you have to have people that are willing to admit that and then delegate to others. So you help them understand where their strengths and weaknesses are and build on those strengths. Yeah, we have open conversations about that. I, I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in uh, open and direct conversations about performance and, and preferences. You know, Somebody could be great at a particular thing, but their heart isn't in it, and they, they would prefer not to do it. They'd rather do something else. So I think that's also important. They want to hear you say is that leadership, especially in your firm, Klemchuk LLP, is coaching. You are the coach of your firm. I think that's probably a good way of describing it. I mean, I think, you know, an element of leadership is, is providing that compelling vision and then holding to that vision and not changing it. Because it's easy to have a vision, hard to hold the vision. Because when times are great, leadership's easy, right? When times are tough is when rubber really hits the road and leadership becomes difficult. So I think being able to cast that and hold that vision while at the same time, you know, coaching people uh, along the way or, you know, helping them improve their performance and, one of the things I've learned over 21 years of practicing law is that lawyers as a group really don't like to be told what to do. And so I think coaching or assisting is a better way of helping than you know leading, directing, or managing. You've had your firm for a number of years. You know what other law firms are like. So do the attorneys that you work with see your firm as a breath of fresh air compared to other firms they might have been been with prior to uh, joining your firm? I think it depends on who you talk to. Uh, if you're a kind of person that uh, wants a tremendous amount of structure 
and to be told what to do every day, we're probably not the right place for you because we're more of a self-starter kind of uh, business. Uh, also, we are team-centric, so that requires you to work with others, with a minimum of one or two others. And so if you don't want to be on a team and if you don't want to collaborate with somebody to enhance your strengths and cover down on your weaknesses, then we're probably not the right place for you as well. And what I also hear about what you're mentioning is, is communication open communication, work with each other. You uh, mentioned a book prior to the show starting, Extreme Ownership, written by a couple of former uh, Navy SEALs. And that book primarily focuses on communication up and down the chain of command. I would assume you've put that into place basically with your background in the military. Is that part of Klemchuk? We do. You know, one of the big differences that we have, have implemented is typically in a law firm, you might get a annual review, an annual, the annual performance review. Not all firms do that, but you know, if a firm does it, it's likely to have an annual review. And I, I just remember experiences in my past where I had done great things in the month of February, may have heard about it or may not have heard about it, and and I just remember sitting there thinking. The annual review isn't until December, and I sure hope 10 months from now they remember that. I, I don't think the annual review is a great way to have that kind of communication you're talking about. I think you need to have on-the-spot communication, and I think you need to get uh, feedback along the way. And so we have switched from annual review, formal annual reviews to what we call quarterly check-ins. So we have quarterly goals, and we have quarterly assessments, and we, we have this each uh, leader meets with their teammates once a quarter to, to do the check-in. And, but we're really big on uh, feedback, uh, like almost instantly or as quickly as possible. And another thing is uh, law firms are going to have to contend with the millennials. And I think that they're, they're a significant part of the, um, at least the associate population now, maybe beginning to become partners. And millennials think about life very differently than Gen Xers and baby boomers. And feedback is a big part of what millennials want. And so I think law firms that don't give that feedback are going to be at a real disadvantage going forward. We've now gone for full circle. You said that you are an entrepreneur that happens to have a law firm. In other words, you're running your, your law firm like a business. How did you get that idea that's, that's unique to your business? Most law firms don't do that. How did you develop that? I have I mean, I've read way too many business books. Uh, we were, you and I were talking. I think I read about a third of the books on your, your bookshelf. So I, I'm a, kind of a visionary. Uh, I, I, you know, I have a new idea pretty much every day. You know, If I read books, I have more new ideas. And so as I was trying things with uh, the firm that we started in 2004, which is 14 years ago, I made a lot of mistakes over those years. And so to, to fix those mistakes or to make performance better, Instead of looking at law firm, other law firms for solutions, I started reading business books for how other non-law businesses operate and the solutions that they use. And so I start, have started, well, I've got 14 years of trying out solutions that are kind of a norm within business that are not necessarily practiced in law firms. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. What would you, what kind of advice would you give an individual or an attorney that uh, wants to go into business? What would you tell them to make sure the business was successful? I think the most important thing you need to figure out before you start a business, and this is going to sound cliche, but it's real, is you need to figure out who you are and who you're not. Because a lot of people march into creating a business and they lack the self-awareness of, of who they really truly are, what you're good at, what you're not good at. Um, and it's better to, 
to get real and figure that out before you start because that has to be part of your business plan and I'll give you a great reason why. When, when um, let's say you and I started a business and we had l- limited revenue and not a lot of activity, um, you and I are going to do everything. We're going to wear all the hats, right? And it's going to go well, except for when we say we get to about a million dollars of revenue and pretty soon uh, Steve and Darren can't do the business anymore. And there'll be some pain that each of us are experiencing that'll be different because we're different individuals. And so pretty soon when we have enough revenue, we're going to want to offload things that we don't want to do. And so it's best to offload the things that we're the weakest at so that we can continue to leverage our strengths. And if you go into that, having not thought through that, it can cause a lot of problems later. If you were to um, start your business again from scratch, going back to when you started, what would you do differently? Well, when I started in 2004, and then I started a, a um, another firm in 2009, April 2009, I really hadn't thought through what my values in the business were and what the purpose was. And I didn't pr- have a 64,000-foot map of kind of the overall business plan, um, mainly because I'd been a practicing lawyer for a long time and the, and the you know, the, the business model for law firms is attract good clients, do good legal work, send some bills, collect them, pay the expenses, what's left over is your income, and repeat every month. Um, so I didn't, I hadn't really thought hard about what a what a, a business that I want to run looks like before I started, and so I had to create that afterwards, and that ma- that made it much harder than if I had just figured it out on the front end. Let me ask you this: If I'm an attorney. I'm looking for work. I happen to call in your firm, and you might want to interview me. What do you look for in that attorney? Because, again, you have a different type of firm. Uh, You have attorneys with a much different attitude than other attorneys and other firms because it's more of uh, a team approach. What would you be looking for in me to know that I would fit within your firm? So we use the uh, Jim Collins, good to great, right seat, right right person, right seat on the bus metaphor for hiring and actually staffing. So we have um, five core values. And so the first thing I'm going to try to figure out is, are you a values match for us or not? Because if you're like our first, our first core value is great attitude, put others first. So if I, if I don't believe that you're going to be a, the kind of person that's going to put others first within our business, you're not the right person. And it doesn't really matter how great you are at your trade. You're just not going to fit in with our organization. So first thing is I want to see if you're a values match for the firm. And then the second thing that we'll look at um, is whether your skill set matches the, the role or the position. Um, that's the right seat on the bus. And then also I, I like people with grit. And it's not one of our five core values, and it's not a formal requirement, but I just find that people will grit or willing to do what it takes when it matters, and they'll put others first. Explain that more. You said what it, what it takes to do when it matters. What specifics will that person do that they'll, has grit? They'll make that one last call instead of going home. They'll double-check that brief before it gets filed. They will, Going the extra mile, doing more than they should be doing. Yeah, doing more than they need to be doing. They'll, they put the team first. Which is, a, that's magical. If you can get everybody on the team to put the team first, that is, you get great performance once you get to that level. They won't quit when the when the, the, the rowing gets hard. You know, and if you think about, you know, litigation is basically hand-to-hand combat, and it's difficult. It can be stressful. It preys on your insecurities. And so you really want people on your team that are, are willing to tough it out, even when it's hard. Going back to sports analogies, and you mentioned uh, basketball a little while ago, one of my favorite um, uh 
quotations from Bobby Knight, and most people have seen Bobby Knight and know how he reacted when he was under stress and during a game. But one of the things he said one time was, I'd rather have a player that had 100% desire and 50% ability than the other way around. Because he knew he could take a player with the right attitude and develop those skills. Would you go along with that statement that Bobby Knight mentioned? I have never had any success developing an attitude in anybody in my lifetime. So I think they show people show up with an attitude, and um, I think that is more important than skills because you can teach skills, you can't teach an attitude. So the attitude is most important to uh, for a successful individual, I would think not only as an attorney, but other businesses that you're involved in too. Yeah, and that's what our core values is trying to figure out is, you know, are you the right, do you have the right attitude or not for us, which is different for other businesses. Well, going back to the different types of business you do, uh, primarily with intellectual property, the business is a lot different than it was back, what, 1997. That's about when it started. Things exploded with the Internet. Where does that industry go today? Is that going to be more and more uh, difficult for businesses to protect what they have in the future? I, I No, I think it's probably going to be easier for businesses. And I think because of the way that technology has evolved law and then this coming generation of millennial attorneys, the law firm business model is going to have to change. Um, you know, it used to be that, that the large law firms kind of dominated with within intellectual property services. Uh, you would have some IP boutiques, but mainly it was in the large law firms. But with technology, you, lawyers that worked in large law firms can now compete weeks and large law firms by just making an exit from a firm, forming a small firm using technology to reduce costs, and then they can reduce their hourly rate. And so then all of a sudden, the client is getting the exact same attorney for two or $300 an hour less than they were paying for the large law firm. And I think that's going to be a, a great opportunity for clients to get same or better services at lower rates. So what I hear then, in the future, your business, the uh, the law business, is going to be more competitive. Very. I mean, we it's not just with technology driving or making it easier for firms to for small firms to pop up, but at the same time, um, because lawyers can work remotely, the pool of potential lawyers has increased, and so you can find patent attorneys in Des Moines who where the cost of living is far less, and so you so that allows law firms to drive the cost down of those services. And then at the same time, you know, millennials, I just think, view work very differently than Gen X and baby boomers. And so that, that's another change that law firms are going to have to contend with. I also hear what you're saying, then is that because there will be so many attorneys doing this and different firms are doing the same thing, taking care of your customer and customer service, which I mentioned before, will be even more important. I believe so. I mean, all service businesses can compete in one of three ways, price, quality, and service. Um, I think quality is di- for lawyers is kind of difficult to measure fr- frequently because, like, if you write a patent application, the quality of that of that patent may not be determined for five, ten, or fifteen years. So that quality is a hard one to compete on, but price is an easy one to compete on. And there are lots of firms willing to go out of business with low prices. But as as technology evolves, that tends to drive down the price. And in service, I think, is the big one. So a law, a, a law firm's ability to give great service to clients and give them a reason to come back 
firms that can do that are going to dominate. And now you've heard just in that one sentence the uh, the values and qualities of Klemchuk. Well, Darren, thank you very much for being part of Playmakers Talk Show. Tell everybody how they can find out more about what you do. The easiest way to find us or find out more about us is to go to our website, which is www.klemchuk.com, K-L-E-M-C-H-U-K.com. And we also we publish heavily on our blog, and we're very active on social media. And they can get a hold of that on your website. Correct. It's also on our website, PlaymakersTalkShow.com. Well, Darren, thank you very much again for being on Playmakers Talk Show. Thank you. You're definitely a playmaker because a playmaker makes things happen, and that's exactly what you're doing. And again, thank you very much also for listening to us. Uh, join us again at PlaymakersTalkShow.com. We get all of our past episodes. That's PlaymakersTalkShow.com, and we're going to be back with more Playmakers. See you then. You've been listening to Playmakers Talk Show with Steve Klein. Join Steve again at PlaymakersTalkShow.com for more interviews with interesting and successful playmaking CEOs and executives.